Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. In today's world, procrastination doesn't work when it comes to financial planning. The future has a way of catching up quickly. So it makes sense to talk about a subject that most people want to put off dealing with. My guest is passionate about the world of financial planning. She's Cynthia Myers, owner and founder of Confluence Financial Planning, LLC, based in Sacramento. For more than 30 years, she and her firm have guided their clients through transitions and investing. For everything about Cynthia and Confluence Financial Planning, go to confluence-fp.com. And Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ira. Well, why financial planning and when to start? That's always the major question. And I think people will get a lot of our conversation because a lot of people don't really think about planning. They just live in the here and now, which is also fun. But you start to realize that 10 years goes by quickly, 20 years goes by quickly, and all of a sudden you're not any better than you were when you first started out. So clearly financial planning is a plus. Why is it so many people are hesitant to get involved in that world? Is it just because it's a headache? I think our world, unfortunately, is confusing. There's financial planning and there's investing. And many people or advisors who do just investing may call themselves financial planners. So what I'd like to convey is what financial planning is really about. And financial planning, whether you do it yourself or you work with an advisor, really is about designing and living the good life. And this is your version of the good life, not my version. So it's really about constructing the life that you want based on your short-term and long-term goals. And investing is certainly a part of that, but it's a subset because you can't really think clearly about investing unless you know what your short-term goals are and your long-term goals, because that tells you where to put your money. And secondly, uh, your values, you know, what's, what's important to you. Some people, family is important to them. And so they want to grow their net worth, not necessarily for their lifetime, but for their children's lifetime to make sure that they have a legacy. So I, I think with financial planning, Investing is a subset of financial planning. So is your human capital, because your human capital is what your knowledge base is and where you work. And so you want to go to work during your lifetime and make a good salary, have money extra to invest and to build for your future so that at some point you have the option not to work or or to continue working. You can have the best investments in the world. You can do an excellent job on your investments, well diversified. And still, there will be things that could derail you from the life that you want to live or the path that you want to be on. I'm going to give you an example. If you don't have your estate planning taken care of, and estate planning is not just your will and your trust, but it also includes durable powers of attorney. If you and your spouse get in an accident and you go both go into a coma, no one can step in and get to your financial resources to pay your bills and, and pay the hospital, etc. So it's important that you have those durable powers of attorney as part of your estate planning package, not only for healthcare, you know, you want someone to take care of your desire for medical assistance and what your goals are with that, but also for financial. And, and I'll give you an example of this. My uncle many years ago, was a single person and he got sick and went into the hospital. He had built up sufficient assets to take care of his life and certainly pay the hospital bill. 
but they would not let him out of the hospital because there was no durable power of attorney and no one could access the money to pay that hospital bill. And so he, he passed away in the hospital and they took care of it afterwards. Very expensive. There's so much to unpack here, but what do, what do you say to the people who, and they, they don't necessarily have to be poor people, these could be middle-class people, but they are living paycheck to paycheck. And they think that there's really nothing there that they can allocate for future assets, that they, for future planning even, because they just are, are doing that. I mean, I would think that you could cut back on one thing and use a little bit of that money to invest. But how do you address that with people who talk to you about this and say, look, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I'm making a lot of money, but we have all these expenses. So how do you, how do you get them to come around to the idea of in their head, you know what, we should plan for some of this stuff? You know, I have a secret recipe for that. It's called put it on automatic. So whether you just sign up for $50 a paycheck or the minimum that you can for your 401k, you, you sign up for automatic contributions to your savings account from your checking account, just get it started. And you won't notice it. You, you really won't notice it. The key is to get it started and then to continue to build that up. And again, I think that's if you sit down and think about what your goals are and, and write them out every year. You know, we need to buy a car in two years or we want to retire at X age and you review those, then it's going to give you some purpose behind putting that money away because life is a balance. You need to you want to enjoy life now and life and in the future. When I was first starting thinking about financial planning, and that was uh, in the days when, uh, you know, they, they had the covered wagons going by, and I, but I thought, you know, <laughs> I want to save for whenever they invent the car. But I always heard the phrase, pay yourself first. So your yes. automatic aspect is similar to that phrase, I think, in that you're putting money aside automatically. You're paying yourself first before you even pay the rent or the groceries or whatever it happens to be. Because if you don't pay yourself first, you're never going to get ahead. Right. And if you set it up, you won't miss it. You won't miss it. Yeah. And the key is just to, when you get those raises, to increase those amounts. What's your, been your most challenging case where somebody came to you and said, look, I don't have enough money to put away. And yet you're able to, and obviously no names, but just the idea of someone coming to you saying, you were recommended to me, but I don't know how I could possibly accrue assets because I'm just spending money left and right. And I can't, I can't see it. Do you have an example of something like that? I do have an example that's similar to that. And, and this addresses the question of it's never too late to get started. So we had a couple come to us who had moved from Montana to California, and they had a business in Montana with other partners. And before they came to us, something happened. I don't know what, but the business, they had to declare bankruptcy. So they came to California and they started over opening their business again here in California. And they were, um, they were 60. They were 60 when this happened. They did not have anything, but they did have a desire to make things right and to make sure that they would be able to retire at some point in time. So I have to say, I, this was many years ago and I was a lot younger and I thought, Oh, this is this is a sad case here. But they applied themselves. Their business did turn out to be successful. They set up a very aggressive retirement plan that people who have their own business can set up. And they were able to save the money that they needed so that they could retire at around 75. So again, but there 
they they had their own personal goal and that drove them to put that money aside and and they went out and used their human capital and made money too you mentioned earlier too about having a goal but it ties in with what i said in the beginning if you're passionate about something and you're passionate for example about having a nest egg or investing and saving and having something at the end of your life or being able to bequeath it to your successors, then that passion will drive you to come up with a way to do it. Even if it's, as you said earlier, $50 a month as an automatic payment. The old slogan again, which I learned when I was in the covered wagon, where there's a will, there's a way. And so that's what it sounds like that you're saying. Yeah. Financial planning really has two aspects to it. One is kind of a business aspect because what you're talking about is the business of your life. So if you look at your life as a business, if you were running a good business, you would do a business plan every year. You know, you'd write out what your goals and objectives were. And secondly, from a more qualitative perspective and not just the numbers, you're designing the story of your life. So this is about you. This is your life. This is what you want. And the other thing I love about that approach is that it cuts right through the conversation that we're bombarded with from the media, which is about economy, bad bad market, good market, and they're only always talking about the stock market. If you invest with your goals, you can shut all that noise off because you're going to put your short-term monies in a savings account, a money market account. It's not going to grow much. It's not going to earn much interest. But you know that when you go to need to buy that car next year or repair your roof, that money is going to be there and it's not subject to the vagaries of the stock market. And then for long-term, like planning for the future, longer out than a couple of years, then you can use those monies to invest and make sure that you're, you're diversified in where you're putting your, your monies. Do people see the light once you explain it to them that way? I think they do. I mean, we meet and update a financial plan every year for our clients, and it's very valuable for them because nothing falls through the cracks. Again, what we do is we try to anticipate issues. And and good advisors, whether you're hiring a CPA, a marriage counselor, uh, you know, an interior decorator, as you know, the really good advisors anticipate what the future will be for you and look to see there could be problems here and bring those problems to the forefront. Like I gave the example about the power of attorney so that that you're taken care of and you know that if we include in your financial plan, go to an estate attorney, get a trust, we're going to include that next year if you haven't done it. So that's the benefit of working with a good advisor. Do you find that people, I'll, I'll use myself as an example, I hate sure. I hate uh, looking at paperwork. I hate dealing with paperwork. And clearly when somebody meets with you, they have to put all their paperwork together so you can, not just you, but they can see clearly what are the debts, what's the income, what's the amount devoted to be possible savings or investments. And so how do you encourage people who are similar to me where we just don't like to deal with paperwork? I would imagine it's hard in the beginning, but then once you get it going, it gets easier or am I speculating? No, it does get easier. And the hard part really is in the beginning, just gathering those documents. But then we organize those documents for you. And we, you know, we put them into a net worth statement so you can see your net worth growing every year, investment reports, all kinds of things. And, and we also capture your goals. So again, we are providing a service that helps you cut through that, that if you were doing it yourself would be a lot harder. And the goals change for people on a 
possibly yearly basis or every five yes, years. Yes, and that, that's yeah. the beauty. Yeah. That's the beauty. They can look back and say, oh, that was those were our goals last year, and look what we accomplished. Right. Or, you know what, we, we've kind of changed, and we thought that was important last year, but this is more important now. So the key is, is always around those goals and also around your values. What's important to you? Because that's what, where the passion is going to come, and that's where the drive is going to come. Now, where did you develop this passion for financial planning? Because I understand, and I may be making this up, but you were a circus clown originally, and then somehow you got <laughs> a financial plan. Am I right? <laughs> no, I wasn't a circus clown, okay. but I did write and edit children's textbooks, which is a vastly different career than what I'm in now. But what I found was, even though I edited, I didn't have a balance between my left and right brain. And so really, we moved locations, we moved to Sacramento. I, I literally answered an ad in the paper to go to work for a financial planning firm, having no idea what it was. My, my undergraduate degrees in literature, I did know I wanted to get an MBA. So I was probably one of the first paraplanners in the country and they didn't even have a word for it. You know, someone supporting the financial planner, writing the financial plans that the planner would then deliver to the clients. And I found that it was just a beautiful convergence of my analytical side and my creative side. Interesting. So you ended up going full-time into that. And you obviously, as we mentioned in the opening, you've been doing this for more than 30 years. Do you find that being based in Sacramento is a help or hindrance in dealing with clients that are in other states or maybe in other countries? No, not at all. In fact, we had a client that we hadn't even met face-to-face. It was in Korea, working in Korea for some time. And then he came back to the States. And then we met him. We have clients all over, but the majority of our clients are in Sacramento, but we have them in many states throughout the United States. And even before COVID, we would meet with them by phone or by something like Zoom conference. So it's not a problem at all. You gave some advice earlier, and I want to go back to some of it. You, sure. you talked about setting goals and also durable power of attorney. Mm-hmm. And, and you gave the example of why if a couple were killed how would people get access to deal with the money and if they had an estate even. But you also, there are other things you recommend. I know I was looking at some notes and one was to check the beneficiaries on all retirement accounts and insurance policies when changes occur either in your life or every two years or so. Why is that important? That's really important. You hear horror stories. I I haven't had any clients where this happened, but there are stories where beneficiaries weren't checked. There were divorces along the way. There were second wives or husbands, maybe third wives and husbands. And all the money when the person died went to that first spouse. So that's why you want to check things about every couple of years or make sure that you have a primary beneficiary, which is going to be, if you're married, it's going to be your spouse because those retirement accounts will go to your spouse tax-free. And then a contingent, because again, back to my example of the automobile accident and a coma, it could be death also. And if you don't have a contingent, the state will decide where that money's going. And that may not be where you want that money to go. And also two beneficiaries you may list, they may no longer be living. That's correct too. That's correct. That's why you want a first and a second, at least the very least. Yeah. So when Uh you review all these things as a client, then you're looking at obviously rewriting your goals or at least looking at your goals and seeing if any of them change for the next couple of years, checking beneficiaries on retirement accounts or any other tips in terms of what you should do on, I would call a maintenance basis. In other words, 
you've got a plan in place and you, if you're like me, you would then forget about it because you you have to live life, but it's there. But then you really do need to check to see, again, we talked about the beneficiaries. Are there other little things that one should check just to make sure that it's not outdated or there's a legal issue or whatever it happens to be? One thing that comes to mind that we, we're uh, very attuned to is automobile and homeowners insurance and something called a jumbo liability, jumbo insurance policy or personal liability policy. So I'm going to talk a minute about homeowners insurance. You want to make sure that you meet with your agent every couple years. Things that can be problems would be if you live in an older house and something happens and you, you know, fire, water damage, whatever, and there's a code issue. And you're, if you don't have something like a code update in your insurance policy, you're going to have to pay out of pocket because the codes have changed since that house was built or since you got the insurance. And the jumbo liability policy, we unfortunately, we live in a litigious society. And the jumbo liability is like an umbrella that covers your homeowner's insurance, your rental insurance, if you have a rental, and your automobile insurance. It's sold in increments of a million dollars. So once your net worth, and this is why it's important to track your net worth, gets over a million dollars, you want to be looking at this umbrella insurance. And as I say this for the insurance terms, they're going to look at your house. But your house really, I have to reiterate, is not an investment. Unless you tell me that you're going to sell your house, make money on your house, pay the taxes on the money you make on your house, and go live in a tent. It's a personal asset, like a car. You know, It is part of your net worth, but it's not part of your investing or monies that you're earmarking for retirement. Unlike a car, the value of a house goes up usually. Sometimes typically, it, it appreciates, but, but not always. Right, we, you know, we've right. had down markets that last for a while in yeah, real estate. There was something you said that just struck me in my little brain. The idea of the code upgrade. Are you talking about when you say the code upgrade, the city that you're in, that code? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they've got codes that, that if they have to come and repair your house, you've got to be up to code. So they're going to snoop around or you know look at your and see, okay, well, if, before we let you repair this, you've got to bring the house up to code. So there should be something, the codes. there should be something then in your homeowner's insurance to reflect. Yes. That. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and that's, I mean, that's uh, more critical if you live in like a Victorian home or something that was built a long time ago. But I'm just a little confused. Is it you or is it your insurance agent that will look and see that the policy includes a clause about the code? Your insurance agent. Okay. Your insurance agent. And, and your question would be to your insurance agent, do, do, I, do I have this and do I need it? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I want to get back to the goals. This is important because again, and the reason I go back to the goals is again, it's what drives the passion to actually create your plan or decide to finally put a plan together. It's your goals. And a lot of people don't have goals and that's not a negative thing. They just like to live and they don't necessarily... Mm-hmm want anything beyond what they have, which a roof over their head, uh, three square meals a day or round meals if you get a pizza, and then also uh, maybe a couple other things. But most people, I think, think beyond that. And some goals I would think are unusual. And that's why I wanted to bring this up again is, have you encountered clients that have had, from your point of view, an unusual goal that would incorporate the need for financial planning? I can't give you an example of one, but you might actually be able to give me an example. I do. 
I can think of a couple and these were these were serious goals for them. So one couple really, they do live in the moment and they love, they love the tropics. So their goal is to have a home in the tropics or to have some place to go in the tropics, just to be able, you know, they're just to be able to live maybe at least part-time. So that gets incorporated into what's important for them and where they place their money to bring it more home, if you will, sometimes people want to upgrade their house, move to a bigger house, move to a smaller house, what, whatever their current house is not adequate for them. That then becomes a short-term goal, which means their monies need to not be all put in retirement because that would be fluctuate, the market will fluctuate and they may not have the money they need, but they need to accumulate that money in a savings account, even though it's not earning interest. And of course, I'm assuming that their debts are paid off. A more unusual goal, and this was this was the value system, was a young couple who came to us, just had a child, I think the child was one or two, and they were already wanting to plan for the wedding for, the, for that baby. That was very important for them. That is a, <laughs> yes, that is a way ahead of, yeah. Yeah, yeah the child's only two. Yeah. Doesn't have a fiance. Although, on the other hand, I have heard of parents, especially on the East Coast, where they are already planning college and certain elite schools for their kid who just got born. So, yes, college funding is excellent. That's an excellent goal, too. And you see, everyone's different. Some people want their, their children to work and earn part of their money for the tuition or their, their spending money, and some want to pay for the whole ride for their for their kids. So in that case, you want to be looking at 529 plans, they're called, where you would put money away for the child to be used for college. And when it's withdrawn for college, or uh, it can be nursing school, we even had someone who used it for golf academy, because he was becoming a golf pro, put that money away in that account when it when as it grows, you don't pay any taxes when you take the money out. If you use it for college, or if you use it for, uh, you can use some of it for private high school. When you hear what clients state what their goals are, do you, from your perspective, ever try to have them modify some of those goals because they're not realistic, or to perhaps change some of the goals because they're supercilious, or maybe add goals to their list? Do you ever do any of that as their advisor? Those are two questions. And to answer the first question. Well, wait a question, minute. I think there may have been five questions in there. How did you find well, I, two? I heard two. Okay, good. All right. The first one is, do I modify the goals? No. I take these goals very seriously. And we treat people with respect and we honor their goals. And then we're going to show them how they can achieve them or how they're short. Not everyone who comes to us is set for retirement. You know, they come because they know they, they have some work to do. And so we show them all different scenarios. You know, you can retire later. You, you know, you can retire on less. We show them a positive outcome, and then they have to decide which, which path they want to take. And the second one, many clients are just baffled when we send out the letter and say, send us a list of your short-term and long-term goals. Or they don't have time to talk with their spouse. And they absolutely love coming in once a year because we elicit those goals. We'll say, are you going to travel? Is traveling important to you? Where are you going to go in the next year or two? Where do you want to go in the future? Do you want to have a second home? Those kinds of things. Again, eliciting, making sure that they've thought about them and that we've got everything because we want to, we want to see a clear picture. We want a clear whole picture so that we can address everything that needs to be addressed. 
My main goal is to avoid poverty. That's what I'm. Avoid poverty. Yeah, that would probably. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of there's a lot of bag lady syndrome out there too, and that is a a, a negative propellant, if you will, for people to save their money. But I think that's the beauty of good financial planning because you can you can see it, you can quantify it. You can say, okay, here's how your future may unfold financially if you're you continue on this path and we update that every year or every few years. So that brings a lot of peace to people. The other thing I see as challenging is that in a way we have two sections of our lives, probably many more than that. But the accumulation section where we're saving all of our money, paying our debts, make sure we're debt free, making sure we have money in savings for emergencies. And then there's the retirement. So we start people thinking about retirement five years before because it's not only the numbers, it's the psychology of it. It's a huge, huge life transition. And we want to make sure clients are retiring to something and that they begin to think about what this new life is like because we, we have such longevity mostly nowadays. And it's, it's beautiful, but we, ha- we, we, get to, we get to, in a way, be a teenager again and start all over and say, okay, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Two more quick questions. One is, when you started in this practice, it wasn't clearly as automated as it is now. In other words, the software sophistication wasn't there, I would think, when you first started out, because Mm -hmm. we mentioned you've been doing this for more than 30 years. Was it a challenge when it was more paper-based than it is now, or it's more computer-based? I know the humans are kind of the same, but what about just the methodology and dealing with the old school stuff versus now with computer modeling and projecting, et cetera? Yeah, we're much more sophisticated in our computer modeling so that we can see variations and we can run Monte Carlo simulations about the return of the investments over periods of time. But just to really give you a story that will put it into perspective, when I started in the business in the late 70s, I was that paraplanner and I worked for a company that did do financial plans for clients. And I had to literally type on my typewriter all that, that whole plan. And many of it, a lot of it then was what you call boilerplate, right? It's educational pieces. Now we just pull them off the computer. I had to type every one of those over and over. The old (laughs) IBM Selectric. Yes, the IBM Selectric, yes. (laughs) Okay, last question. If you had to narrow down your advice to one thing, and you have a lot of good advice, but if there was one thing you could advise people to do at a basic level that might steer them in the direction of financial planning, or at least thinking about goals, what would that be? You know, I, I think I would get philosophical and advise to live a balanced life, no matter in the moment today, in the future, make sure that you're balanced. Make sure that you live a good life now and a good life in the future. Because one of the things I was going to say about retirement is people who have accumulated money and are good at saving money, they have a very difficult time in retirement because they feel if they spend money, they're going to be a bag lady. They won't have the money that they need. But if they have insurance, long-term care insurance, and the things to cover the risk, that should cover them. But live a balanced life. I had a couple who retired at 55 and 60, and they loved just traveling throughout the country. I think they had an an RV or something and they did that and they enjoyed every minute and they took a little bit extra out of their investments along the way. But 10 years into it, the husband got Parkinson's and his life was shortened. And then shortly after that, the wife had early onset Alzheimer's. But before she got to that point, she thanked us profusely that 
that they had accumulated the money that they could enjoy that life while her husband was alive and that they had those good years together where they could do absolutely whatever they wanted. Yeah, that's a great way to end it. And then in my retirement, when I get there, I'm going to become a circus clown. So there you have it. Thanks, (laughs) Cynthia. My guest has been Cynthia Myers, owner and founder of Confluence Financial Planning, LLC, based in Sacramento. For everything about Cynthia and Confluence Financial Planning, go to confluence-fp.com. And Cynthia, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Good to be here. And join us every Thursday for our new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.